Hello and welcome to Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, coming to you from that place I just pissed on, Winchester Building in the downtown Metropolis area. Hey, that place. And on today's show, we are going to be reviewing the blues, R&B, psychedelic soul artist, Shuggy Otis's 1971 album, Freedom Flight. This reminds me, because... <laughs> Because I know this is might seem hard to believe. Is it the word shuggy that we're, we're it is? Okay. Because in high school, Rob's nickname was actually Shuggy, and that was because it rhymes with thuggy. <laughs> Rob was quite a thug. But if they called me that, I'd beat him up. <laughs> he was quite the thug in high school. I, it was uh, you couldn't pass him out in the halls without him uh, either saying some sort of derogatory statement like. Please get out of my way, or or how's it going, sailor? So, anyways, <laughs> well, time passes, and I'll tell you straight, I'm not the same kind of bully I was. No, you're not. You're not like. That's why nobody calls you Shuggy anymore because you're not like that. No, no, I'm not like. I'm a reformed man. I'm a better bully. <sighs> right now, oh yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. Right now, our, uh, yeah, our, our producer uptown Mike is uh, is telling me that. Uh, Rob has a story from work he wants to tell us about the the boss's son or something like that. Oh, that thing that happened. Yeah. Didn't we do that two episodes ago? <laughs> I would, that was a trick, ladies and gentlemen, to see if Rob would tell the story from two episodes ago or he would say just what There he was did. a part of me that was screaming, run with it. Make up something new. Rob passed the test. Thank God. Because I was thinking, well, you know, this is what he'll say. Oh, you know. I was at work, and it was like, no, Rob, you told it again. But no, Rob passed, and uh, <laughs> it's a basic idiocy test. Yeah, yeah basic idiocy. You got an A, no A plus, because you can never get an A plus. And uh, that's that's how our, that's how our shows go. If you've just tuned in, and this is our your your first experience at our show, you're probably wondering why you're still listening. But you're listening because you're intrigued by what these two idiots are going to do. Will they say something even dumber? <laughs> you don't know. Oh yeah, and for all for what we're talking about, if you if you don't know, uh, the story was uh, the boss's son was was playing spot the wiener in the lunchroom with Rob. There was some. Inappropriate, I wouldn't say touching, but in my mind, I imagined things that might happen, and I got scared. <laughs> you ran like a little girl in my mind. Yeah, in his mind, I couldn't go anywhere at work. I, uh, the foreman was sitting up front, yeah, he, he would have fired you. We said, uh, Where are you going? Well, why don't you just keep on going? Don't come back. He's that kind of guy. You know what typifies this show? Yes. I mean, you... you I do, because I'm here every night. Not every night. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, I was just thinking about this as I was leaving for the Winchester building tonight. And, uh, you know, after we did the show last week, I, I got the stomach flu and it was bad. And I was like, ah. And then I had to write the script. Your inside was out and your outside yeah, was in. Yeah, and I felt like a monkey. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had to write the script and I wasn't feeling well. And then I had to listen to the album. Even though I've listened to the album before we chose it a couple of times, I had to listen. To it. yeah, it's never good to listen to an album when you got the stomach flu because you say to yourself, I don't like this album. It sounds like an album that would give me the stomach flu. It's making me, it's making me feel sick. <laughs> it's so, not the virus. That, it's the album. That, here's, that's a little... A little knowledge we're passing to you young podcasters out there. If you if you decide to do a podcast about reviewing albums, uh, give the album a break if you're listening to it when you're really sick. <laughs> <laughs> it won't sound as good. And anyways, it brought me back, uh, like Rob talking a lot here, because I'm well, brought me back to when we did the Doors show uh, a little while ago when I was really sick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started to falter and kind of go into my own little world. And Rob, being the good sidekick that he was, uh, didn't know what to do at all. And he, <laughs> <laughs> he, he just stared at me, didn't save the show, didn't go is, into another Is he going to die? Is he just kind of looked at me like, is this a bit? 
<laughs> I was more thinking about, uh, you know, we don't think uh, mm. one person or the other of us is ill. Uh, how can I help him? We just think, is this the night I drop him off on Lou's lawn? That's it. I don't know what you bring that up. They don't know Lou. They don't know what you're talking about. The arrangement? Now, They'll find out about it as time goes now by. Now I have to move on. Now I have to move on because don't bring up things they don't know about because now they're mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we had a little bit of crisis this week with our, our producer, Uptown Mike. Uh, unfortunately, and this is, I don't even think Rob knows this, but Uptown Mike has decided to stay with the show for at least one more year. So we're not exactly happy with that. We mm. thought for sure with our derogatory comments on every show that he would leave. Well, mostly he just sits in the, in the booth there and drinks. Yeah, and that's that's why I thought maybe he'd move on and, and give us a break, but uh, he's not. Yeah, well, he man needs his drinking time. The yes. best time to do it is during the show. Yes, I'm a little bit dis discombobulated today. In fact, <laughs> a lot of stuff that I wrote when I was sick in the script, I don't really <laughs> want to say anymore. So Rob, Rob is actually now Rob is picking you. The, now Rob is picking. Wrote the it while you were in sick context. I I did. This no, is healthy context. I did, here. and I'm gonna sh I'm gonna show an example of this in about three minutes. <laughs> so don't leave. But I'm looking at lines, and I'm going, oh, that, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't what make was any I thinking sense. then? <laughs> Did somebody else write night. this? Uh, oh, yeah. this. Okay, this is a rant I had when I was sick. <laughs> That's the best time Say, to do your rants. Why do <laughs> I have to write a script every week? Why can't Rob contribute his script? And oh, it, yeah. and and then and then it was like because it's hard. I mean, please. Now one script is not that hard if you if you're good at what you're doing, but you have to write like 50 scripts a year because we take two weeks off for Christmas, so it's 50 oh. scripts a year, and I have to write every single one. And it's not that Rob isn't funny because Rob's a funny guy, but you put a script in front of him to write, and he turns into uh, Mussolini. I am the stiff man. <laughs> He just can't do it, and I have to write. And I was, I was sick and mad, and I was going like, "Why does this guy?" Write? And then I actually wrote it down on, <laughs> as part of the show. So <laughs> I actually don't this mind. This is too much. I, was, I want yeah, less. Yeah, I was, I was kind of out of my mind because I wasn't feeling good and I didn't want to do it. And I was going like, "Why this is this too much? And we have to do a show every week, and Rob doesn't do anything except yeah. say yes, sir. That's great." And it's like, what? <laughs> I got a sweet deal. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I imagine I could write a script while I'm at work for eight hours a day. You know what? People don't want to hear about your problems. They want to hear about my problems. And when I say eight hours a day, I mean oh, five Oh, you know what? They did want to hear about your problems because they wanted to hear about the Some boss's the son uh, yeah. hitting on you. And, uh, and where that went. And where that went, which was... Into areas we, we can't divulge on. Did you know there's special buildings downtown filled with people like that? Anyways, I had written, and I'll show Rob. You guys won't see it because there's no cameras. No. We will have cameras next year because we're going on YouTube next year. We have plans to do this show on YouTube next year. And all we I guess do is... this is the first time we're revealing it, right? We're actually going to do this show on YouTube. That's right, no one's heard about it uh, before because uh, we only uh, solidified it uh, two weeks ago. Because we only decided two <laughs> weeks ago. At the, end of, at the end of the show. At the end of the show. Um, I had written this whole thing, Rob, as you can see, it's two pages, and I don't want to do it. And the reason I don't want to do it, and I realized this actually like two days after I was sick, was that it really didn't have anything to do with the 70s. It's actually a pretty... pretty funny segment it really is well, i tell you what we're gonna do that again next time you're sick so we're gonna do this sometime because it's very funny but it really had nothing to do with the concept of the show you know what your problem is you're just not fed up enough no i have to do it when i'm really fed up again yeah and uh that will probably happen there, so. yeah um, so what we're going to, what we're going to do instead of this huge long segment of two, I don't think I've ever written a segment two that's pages two on the same pages subjects. long, um, but we're going to do something that uh, I like to call 70s memories. 70s 
Memories. I guess we have a tie. And this I'm is sorry, I get long overdue. Um, what I was doing when I was sick uh, is I was looking at, I, I like to look at, uh, no, I don't like to look at, to do uh, a lot of background for the show, I will look at our old newspapers. And not manually, but on the internet. They have a they have a um, website called newspapers.com where you can look at almost any newspaper from any city in the world almost. From its inception up till now. From it from what well from if they have a copy of it, right? And they'll have it from page one till page whatever of that of like that Tuesday, September twelfth, nineteen sixty-two, whatever. They will have that. And they have all of our city's newspapers from, oh, whoa, we're going way back. What the heck was happening during the 70s? All I remember was the oil crisis and those damned Arabs. OPEC. Yeah. Shut up. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so many, there's a lot happening in the 70s. See, if you don't do research on your own show, you don't find out what was going on. See, I... that there actually was, there was quite a bit of, it's very interesting. It's not like I read the, go back and read all these papers from, from beginning to end, but I'll look at like TV listings and see, oh, what kind of shows are playing in this year? <laughs> and you kind of browse through it and you just kind of browse and see if there's anything that you want to, that I want to bring to the show. And there was, because I was looking through it when I was sick and it was about public access TV. <laughs> The most every TV on the planet. Every city in North America had public access TV. And, of course, here in the greater metropolis area, we had, you know, public access TV. Yeah, I believe it's a TV station that uh, lets people do shows who otherwise wouldn't get to do shows for one reason and or another. And shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, okay, for one reason. It's something that everybody can relate to because everybody has in their city, big city, I guess, it, is a public access station and uh, 70s are big on that because there weren't a lot of stations yeah. to sift through you would flip through uh the three commercial stations uh the one other one i won't mention and uh then you had public access and then the public access and oh P were you going to mention pbs you know i don't like pbs i mean i do when they have good programs but that's like once every uh six yeah. years they got the most <laughs> the most Riveting, entertaining TV, and they can have the most boring TV back to back. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, a manic depressive uh, television station. They are bipolar. <laughs> yeah, bipolar. <laughs> this, this is PBS. You're a bipolar TV station. They hey. really can. You can get yeah. the, the the worst, most boring crap at like seven o'clock, and at eight o'clock, it's like, wow, this is great. This is a great documentary or whatever. So PBS stopped being bipolar, and more people would uh, chip in and give you more money. Yeah, get commercial and try to appeal to just get one commercial. segment of your audience, such as us, and we'll have be more, happy. You know what? Have more reality TV, like dating shows and stuff like that, where they go on some sort of temptation island. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make sure they look like they're made up on the spot, but they're actually scripted. That's my favorite. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting way out the topic like we usually do. <laughs> there was a show that I so I was looking through this um, paper and looking through the the listings for the the shows just by chance, and then I came across a show that I had completely forgotten about, but when I saw the name of it, I remembered it, and it's I don't know if Rob will remember the show, and I kind of doubt it, but it was a show called um, Dial a Job <laughs> or Dialathon. Is it? Uh, Job, job, sorry, I can't remember it. I'm thinking of the SCTV Skidaling show. Um, job, Jobathon, I think it was, is what it was called, Jobathon. And you have, like, this was, <laughs> I would actually watch this, not the whole show, but occasionally I would watch it for like five minutes to, to just watch it for how utterly stupid it was. <laughs> In my and, mind, I'm picturing uh, employers coming on and saying, uh, by golly, we're looking to hire some people for this. Uh. So close. Oh. You remember those little um, uh, those little cards, those uh, recipe cards? Yeah, mom that, had a whole box of them. Yeah, that, and then you used to use those in the unemployment offices, right? You used to oh, post yeah, them on yeah. the board, right? Well, that was their set, right? And once a week, 
the guy would come on there and he'd have a as his backdrop was this board and then he would take the recipe card off the board and say mm, it looks like cal electronics is looking for an electronic man and this was all he would do was just read about jobs and i when you're a kid it means nothing it was probably important to adults who were looking for jobs i would assume and didn't want to go to the unemployment office you couldn't look up jobs on the internet because it didn't exist well jobs were in the paper all the time and you it could was the newspapers was the only thing or uh, help wanted ads that was what it oh there's a lot of help wanted ads yeah. back then uh, I just, I just remember the show and I remember like, of course you're like 10, 11 years old and it's like, this is ridiculous. It it, it might have a different matter or, or feeling to somebody or... who's out of work and needs a job, but it was just this guy like reading from these recipe cards. Oh, and we, uh, we have a job, uh, for a traveling salesman. Remember Imagine. They want you to travel, so See, don't apply <laughs> if you're not willing to travel. And here you're complaining <laughs> about writing a script every week. This guy had to write down jobs on a bunch of cards and pin them to a board and then read them. Nobody every week. didn't. All he had to do was read them because this was sent in by employers. Oh, so, so he, he just pinned them to a so board and then read them. Was probably some flunky just pinned. I them to bet the you board. there was a flunky. And then all he has to do is read it, and uh, bad TV. Maybe educational for unemployed, but bad, bad TV. It makes you wonder, did he get paid? See, this, or was it just a public service? You no, know, it's the public service. Nobody gets paid on public television, public access anyways. Um, well, what was his motivation? Why see, would he you, do you this? distracted me. You distracted me with your, <laughs> with your blabber. Um... Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say now. It was important. It might have even been mind-altering, but now I don't uh, I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, you just got the guy and he's reading the cards. Yeah, I don't think it was too mind-altering, but... Um... Oh, it's bad TV. Oh, it smokes like <laughs> a half an hour of it. And I would watch it just like for like 10, 15 minutes, just like, wow, I can't believe this is on. <laughs> oh, what I was going to say was uh, a lot of people may not understand and hopefully are just amused by this because this may have just been a local thing. I don't know if it was around other places, but uh, so this is not a 70s memory that you may have in your city, but it was a 70s memory that actually I had forgotten and just remembered last week when I was looking up these, you know, trying to do uh, some work for the show. And then another one came up, another public access show, which I should have written down, written down because I can't remember it now because I got so hung up on this. Oh, there was a show. Yeah, there was a show, and it was very, didn't last long. And Rob won't remember it because he wasn't into music yet at that point. I don't think anybody at our age was except me. Nope. <laughs> this was late 1977, and they had this, Rob, you got it. This is cool because they had this show. And I, I don't know anything about this show. I don't know what it was called, but I watch it every Thursday night for, I think, the fall and winter of 1977. And they would, it, it was like, they had a setup like WKRP. It looked like the control room of WKRP, but WKRP didn't exist yet. So it was just like a booth with a microphone. Yes, and, and they would have the posters around. And, and I remember the posters because they were all 1977 oh, posters. Oh, that's like, hippie. Like Jethro Tull that's... songs from the wood and, and all those album covers, Wings Over America. And uh, they would have all these album these, these posters around the albums. It looked just like the bull, it looked, not the bullpen, but the, the control room for, for W. Well, the bullpen was where they all talked, right? Yeah, that was a room outside in the... Yeah, uh, outside. This looked like the control room. This is... And sometimes it would be a guy going on for like a half an hour or an hour. Sometimes it would be a woman. And I actually have really fond memories because it was really cool because they would actually play music. Now, I don't know if this... They would. Like, all they they did was be a radio station but have a camera on them. (laughs) <laughs> just like if they put a camera on a real life WKRP in Cincinnati. And I really love this show. And it introduced me to music because I didn't, I was pretty. Were they concentrating on an album or they were playing varied songs? Uh... They would play varied songs. 
And they uh, would play, they would play, like I said, they played Jethro Tull, but probably the first time I ever heard about Jethro Tull. <laughs> and they play, you know, a song from Songs from the Wood, and then, you know, go, oh, you know, we're going to play uh, this song. And I have really fond memories of it because I watched it every Thursday. Again, like I said, it wasn't on for long. It was only on for a couple of months. And it was really cool. Here's a cool idea. And maybe, maybe they had to pay rights for the songs. And maybe that's I why it was so short-lived. It. I don't know if they had that back then. I'm not really sure. In theory, if you're making money off of either advertising or selling tickets or something like that, uh, then you better pay royalties. All right. And, of course, in those days, you can't repeat things. So it's not like... Yeah, they weren't videotaping them and right. uh, doing a Saturday morning uh, replay. Once you saw it, that was it. <laughs> so it was a really cool show. I really actually loved it. It taught me a lot. And I just also love the posters around there because I see the posters up there and I say, you know what? That's I cool recognize that album. I, I, I would like to get that out. I think Jethro Tull was one of them. You know, Song King of Wood, I would say. <laughs> I remember he had that on every week, like the posters. Some posters would change because new albums would be released, right? Just like the just like the control room. If you just think like that, that's exactly how it was. They got posters, and they had the posters just like they would have the posters in WKRP around around the control center and the album covers. Like, guess they'd actually take the album out of the album covers and then pin up the album cover and then like put up the album cover, and it was so cool. And you get to hear the music, and it was in good sound and. And uh, I got to learn a lot about music, and I don't know again if if I don't know if anybody did that in your in your city that you're listening to because it, it sounds like a pretty radical idea. I think it was even so radical here that that's why it didn't last long because you know kids did not even in public access kids did not yeah. rule the airwaves back then. <laughs> it was a station you flipped by. Yeah. Was. There was a lot of other bad apples giving this show, uh, dragging the show down. A lot of bad apples, and it could have been the the, the college <clears throat> university station. It really could have been, and they just they would just put the camera on for uh, an hour or so. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's what it could be. I don't know. I have no specifics on the show at all, and I'm still doing background, trying to get the name of it. Looking at old, like going to the fall and I winter. Don't... For the TV listings to see what the name was. And if I find it, I'll tell Rob. I won't tell you people because you don't give a shit. <laughs> I rarely, I, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, flipping through the channels if they still have that uh, channel. Public access? I don't yeah. think so. I, I think, I think, and you can guys can write to me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of public access kind of went out when... Cable came when in. When cable came in. Because they needed the channels for the stuff yeah, that pays. Especially in the mid-90s. Like, I, I really think it started to... Nobody had, nobody had like... Everybody was... Had, there was no public because nobody had just straight 1 to 13 channels anymore, right? Yeah, they had 70 and then hundreds. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I, the reason I was thinking of it is because I wouldn't know. Because it's been maybe a decade or two since I got that low on the channels. Well, the cable channels that I watch are oh all yeah like, yeah uh, I, I, 35, you know, they 79. Don't even, they don't even make that. And you buy a TV and they don't, they don't know about one to thirteen. Everything, <laughs> everything is what you subscribe to, right? Everything is what everything it really is. Everything is what you subscribe. So there is there could be public access on for local things on your whatever you get your the the package that uh, package you wouldn't be paying for. Right. Which they no longer broadcast. But I really highly doubt it. There's probably some out there, but it's very few. Like at the time in the 70s, every city had public access. So, uh, and it was transmitters. I think everybody has fond memories in their city going back about public access. However (laughs) bad it was and cheap it was, these were people that got paid nothing and they had to make whatever setup they had out of no money. And you. Even as a young kid, I remember feeling bad for them, you know. Yeah, like, wondered why they did it. Yeah, why do you do it? Like, any people laugh at you because you don't have that. It must presence. be something you really well, believe in. Well, here we are tonight. We're going to talk about horse racing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are the type of people that did the announcing. And you just felt bad for them. But there were some people that, you know, who were interested in stuff like horse racing would watch it. And yeah. that's all that it was about. There was no money involved about making money. It was just trying to get information i was like a library (laughs) a library of tv (laughs) 
I wonder who picked the shows. I don't think nobody did. I think if you had an idea, you just oh, okay. If you can get the money together and do it, this is fine. We got a spot right here. We we got lots of spots. <laughs> a spot at three a.m. is perfect. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk this week about my friend Shuggy. I don't mean to make fun of his name. Shuggy is actually a, a, like a musical prodigy, and here I'm. I just love the name Shuggy. I just love it. If oh. Oh. I'm really concerned. I don't know if I could call somebody Shuggy. No, not unless you want, they wanted you to. And they'd almost have to say it. They'd almost have to say, you know what? I want to be called Shuggy. I'd have to give him a nickname. Like uh, Johnny or something. Johnny Shuggy. <laughs> Johnny Shuggy. <laughs> oh, no, we can't do that. We got, we got that other thing we got to do. Email. How could you have forgot that other thing? Here I was going to talk about Shuggy. And we got, you know what? We'll talk about Shuggy and we'll email last. Because we're gonna we're gonna confuse the audience, and they'll say, <laughs> they'll "Oh, be, they're talking about the album. They must have been." Emailed. They'll be skipping through the first thirty minutes of the show to get to the album, and they will be halfway through. It'll surprise them. This is a great idea. Not really. It was more <laughs> like uh, thinking of my feet. <laughs> um, so Shuggy Otis was uh, very much a, a child project. I the the funny thing about Shuggy Otis is that I had listened to his. This album that we're reviewing, Freedom Flight from 1971, a couple of times before, you know, we decided to uh, do this episode. And even I had missed some things <laughs> and I missed some big things. Um, Shuggy Otis was actually uh, the son of Johnny Otis. Now, not many people know who Johnny Otis is, but Johnny Otis is a titan like huge in rock and roll history johnny otis and alan freed were like the people who were putting on r&b and rock and roll shows that made that made rock and roll what it is and brought it to the people and and johnny otis was was huge he was an impresario he was a songwriter he was a producer he was a a, a person who found talent and, but most of all what he's known for is putting these shows together and bringing them to city to city and putting R&B black acts with, with rock and roll white acts. And he was just one of the most important people in rock and roll history, in all honesty. And uh, and he also wrote a very famous song, Willie in a Hand Jive. Hand Jive. That's the only song Doing I that know crazy that's, hand uh, And that's the only song that's about, about that's the only exactly. song I know of that's about masturbation. So Openly so. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that had to be mentioned, but that's okay. Whatever. Well, can you think of any other songs uh, on the topic? Um, I yeah, can't. Pictures of Lily, right there. Okay, so, maybe that one. That's so, so, so screw you. You try and get me on rock trivia, you know it's a useless endeavor. <laughs> Pictures of Lily, I just uh, thought he uh, found her charming. So, um, and not only was Shuggy Otis, uh, Johnny Otis's son, but he was playing on, on records for his dad because his dad would have these review shows and he'd release them on out like a live album of, uh, like late sixties of uh, his show. And then he would release them and some people would buy him. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a big seller, but so his son would play his son. Like, when he did this album that we're talking about tonight in 1971, he was only 17 years old. I didn't know that either when <laughs> I had first stumbled upon this album years ago. Uh, unbelievably, I didn't know he was Johnny Otis's son. And I didn't know he was, like, 17 years old. And another thing I didn't know is that Shuggy Otis, who's still out there playing, has only made four albums in 50 years. <laughs> Which is maybe why nobody knows about him. The guy is brilliant. The guy is a brilliant guitar player. He played all the instruments on the album he did after this one in 1972. And then he did another album in 1974. And then he didn't do another album for like 30 years. Talk about writer's block. <laughs> so I don't think he was too interested in it. I don't. I, I think he got a taste of being the front man type of thing and it just didn't interest him it just it just 
it can get pretty cutthroat when you decide to be the songwriter and the singer and the guitar player and you release the albums and then you got to promote it. I think he he really preferred to be the a session man and and playing live on his dad's review shows and with other players. He was actually recruited to play on the on the Rolling Stones 1975 tour, the tour they did that Ron Wood eventually played on. Um, Mick Taylor had quit the Stones and then the Stones wanted the tour and they said, oh man, like Mick Taylor just quit just like that. But we, we still got to go on tour. The show so must we're go still going to go on tour and he's not going to be a member of the Rolling Stones, but we need a guitar player. And the person that they actually really thought of first was Shuggy Otis. And because he was such a brilliant guitar player and they got Billy Preston to ask him, you know, do you want to play on the Stones tour to promote the It's Only Rock and Roll album. And he said, no, <laughs> it doesn't fit into my plans. Like, I, I admire this about him. He, he said it doesn't, it's, it just doesn't fit into my plans. And their lifestyle is not my kind of lifestyle. So I don't care what kind of prestige it can bring to me. I want to do my own thing in my, in, and live my own type of life, not the life that they want me to live in the Rolling Stones for a year or whatever, because I don't agree with it. And it sounds tantalizing, but no, he had no reservations about saying no. And uh, very, something very admirable, you know, and, but he could have been a Rolling Stone because if he had been a different personality, you know, because Ron Wood did that. And, all, and then so they just asked him, do you want to join? And they could have done that to Shaggy Otis, but he wasn't the kind of guy to say yes to joining the Rolling Stones either. He was, <laughs> he was quite an independent soul. So when he made this album, like I said, he was 17, and he could play almost any instrument. I mean, there are some great players on this record. He plays a lot of instruments. He plays, obviously, the guitar, which he's great at. He plays bass, organ, piano, <laughs> drums, bells. You know it's hard to play the bells. Right? <laughs> I hear a lot of wind chimes. Uh, especially on the title song. <laughs> I hear a lot of wind chimes. And I've got great players on this album. George Duke, uh, Ainsley Dunbar from The Mothers of Invention. Both of them from The Mothers of Invention. I recall seeing a blurb about him um, uh, and Frank Zappa, if they had done something. Ainsley Dunbar? No, uh, Shoggy Otis uh, and Frank Zappa. Oh, really? Zappa. Oh, yeah. oh, you know what? Frank Zappa was a big Johnny Otis fan. He was a big fan of his review shows, and he... He loved a lot of uh, the early 50s recordings of Johnny Otis. He was a big okay. Johnny Otis fan. And that's maybe probably where he heard it. Because I know that a lot of times, and you're right, when you look at a lot of things about Frank Zappa, uh, Shuggy is mentioned uh, because he did something. Oh, you know what? He played he played bass on a song from the Hot Rats album because okay. Frank asked him to. Um, very good, Rob. I forgot about that. I wouldn't have mentioned that if I... And uh, so Frank held him in high re high regard. Uh, yeah, Frank's no slouch himself. <laughs> no, like when when Frank picks you even to play on one song, you have to be good. <laughs> and that's that's an understatement. Like he doesn't just yeah. pick you because you're you're Johnny Otis's son. He picks you because and he picked him 1969. So he picked him when he was like 15. 15. <laughs> and you got to be good. So he held him in high regard, held Johnny Otis in high regard. A lot of musicians did. Well, the musicians themselves loved Shuggy Otis. Um, nobody seems to know about him, unfortunately, except First time he's I the guy the that name. wrote. He's the, the guy that wrote Strawberry Letter Number Twenty Three, which I recognized immediately upon hearing it, and then in researching it, I found out uh, the version I've heard was probably uh, the Johnsons Brothers. Yeah, uh, which I love. I loved it when it was released. I and I, there's a quality to that song. There's a there's a strange. It's a strange song to be a hit song. Yeah. It has no chorus. It has weird lyrics. Very and then that outro guitar part. And the outro guitar. It sounds part, almost like a keyboard, but it's which guitar. is which is which is identical. You know that obviously because we've listened to both versions. The outro guitar part was duplicated on a brothers johnson recording <laughs> and it's actually on here and it's just as 
just they almost tried to duplicate it because it's so it's great it's like so great. anything yeah it does it and it comes from out of the blue you know and it's just uh that was one of the things that attracted me when i heard now a lot of people and i know the person who reviewed this album for the all music website preferred the shuggy otis ver version and i guess it's a matter of i like the shuggy otis version a lot of strawberry letter 23 uh you get to hear uh the, the lyrics right up front but i i i really liked that there was the brothers johnson had this funk element to it because i felt it was a funky song and i didn't feel that there was all that much funk it was more of a kind of a psychedelic yeah, soul yeah. song on this album which is okay like it's a still a it's still an unbelievable song and so weird just in just in comp how it's composed and how it goes into that part at the end with the guitar i mean but i really think it's meant to be a funk song and that's what the brothers johnson did with it and it just has an, a mystical quality to me even when i first heard it as a young young kid i was going there's something just really weird about this song <laughs> and i can't really find the words to properly describe it but it's different it's different than the top 40 stuff that was going on in 1977 78 and then it reappeared in my life when paul schaefer started playing on a david letterman show all the time in between commercials okay. and then i heard it again after not hearing it for five or six years and i go what is that because i heard that dun, 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 dun. And I go, first of all, I love those seven dun, notes. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 and I was dun, going, what is that? Dun, dun, and it took me a long time. It took me probably a couple of weeks because you didn't have the internet to look it up in those days. No, you didn't. And then um, I remember Letterman just asked him, oh, what is that? I, you keep playing that and I love it. And he said, oh, that's Strawberry Letter 23. Then I remembered, yeah, that's, that's one of the coolest. It is. You know what? It's one of the coolest singles I've ever heard, I think. It's really well done, like uh, everything is played brilliantly on it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's an unusual composition. I think uh, the note I wrote for that, and actually for most of the album, it's the most uh, progressive blues or R&B I've ever heard. You know, it's very psychedelic blues. It really is. If you, if you yep. listen to the lyrics and, and the other songs that he wrote on this album, like Ice Cold Daydream. I mean, I don't have to tell you much about the album after giving Ice you the Cold title. Ice Cold Daydream, the way it opens up. Yes. That just grabs you. There is there is a heavy, heavy Jimi Hendrix influence on this album. Heavy Jimi Hendrix influence. And uh, just by the titles and, and what you said about Ice Cold Daydream, that's what that reminds me of. You know, that, that kind of beginning and... And then the other song uh, that he wrote that I'm trying to think of, because the first side is all vocals, not all vocals. It's not a cappella. Yeah, yeah. It's the, um, <laughs> but um, there's an instrumental side. Three to four to five minute songs. Yeah, there's an instrumental side, and then there's a uh, where he does vocals on the first side. And uh, he even does uh, a version of Me and My Woman that kind of is so good because it sounds, again, I kind of unclassifiable maybe a reason why the album didn't sell didn't really have unclassifiable a, a i'm gonna remember you said that <laughs> in fact that's almost like a threat now that uh, i think about it i'd better say why i'm gonna remember before i forget <laughs> otherwise i won't remember first i can i can throw these these things around because it's written here like psychedelic soul funk jazz fusion i, I mean what was the it word? is it was and it's even more and it's even more said. because it's not one of those things it's all of those things put together, and that's unclassifiable. What do you yeah. call that? You know, you don't call that anything. And and if somebody asked me what does this sound like, I would have to say, other than undescribable, I would have to say all those adjectives. <laughs> I would because it's it's not one thing. It is kind of psychedelic. And if you had to put a, and I don't mean psychedelic yeah, in, context, in a weird way, but I mean psychedelic in a in a in a more about the second um, uh, side where you have the longer um, instrumental stuff. That was definitely a sign of the times. That was a uh, a lot of people uh, they were ready to finish off that drug trip with a good long song. <laughs>
but I do appreciate that, that he didn't finish off the album with Freedom Flight. Uh, he had uh, one more um, uh, three or four minutes yeah, after that. He did, though, Rob. I knew it. They put that on there. That was an extra? I couldn't get a track listing. I couldn't get a track listing. It's a bonus track. And it's very disappointing because every version now, whether it's on CD or it's on um, streaming, has the extra song. And it should have. And it wasn't part of the original album. No, that got put on 10, 20, 30 years later. (laughs) And now it has become part of the album. And it shouldn't. Not that there's any room, not that there's any fault with the with the song "One Room Country Shack," which is the bonus track. First of all, it's on a totally different album. Yeah, and that, that, that then that breaks up the context of the album. And it breaks right? up the context of the album because it ends actually if you end the album on with Freedom, Freedom Flight, Flight, and then you because uh, that's I, I a did different that. ending than what the... it's a t- completely different. I guess I screwed up Rob when I told him that the whole second part of the album was all instrumental because he was probably thinking wait a minute what about that song on the end weren't you yeah and like i say i couldn't find an, uh, an accurate track listing to show what songs were on what side of the album go look at discogs.com discogs it'll show you it'll show you all the pressings of the album and uh freedom flight was the last song for over 30 years until it went to cd and then streaming and that's now it's almost they don't even hardly they even put on that it's a bonus track because now for some reason it's gotten and it's totally out of context. Again, nothing wrong with the song, but yeah. it's part of a whole different project. Um, I want to talk about the second side here a little bit with you, because I like purple. It was nice. Um, nothing that wrong was the with one it. I would associate with blues. That's the yes. only song on the album that I actually associate with blues. It's kind of the one not really. Well, that is blues. That is blues. The and other ones I associate with blues. Yeah. But this one is blues. Yes. That's why it didn't really thrill me all that. There's nothing wrong with it, but it didn't thrill me all that much. But Freedom Flight, which was the perfect ending for an album, is almost 13 minutes long, and it's very Hendrix. It's got this, it's very Fleetwood Mac Albatross, if anybody's ever heard That's Albatross. Where, if I wasn't sure what I was listening to, I was just listening for the wind chimes, and then I knew it was Freedom Flight. Because <laughs> they were going all the way through the song. And it's very... Again, I can't describe it. Dreamy. It's very. The 13 minutes go by real quick because you're on a cloud and all of a sudden the song's almost over and you're going, Don't be over. <laughs> this is so beautiful. <laughs> and it is beautiful. And it stops sometimes, Rob. You know, the song will yep. stop and then Shucky will just be playing guitar for a minute or so and then the music will come back in <laughs> nice and soft and. And then you're again transported, and then the music will stop again. I like, wrote Freedom Flight, 13 minute song. You don't know what to expect. You don't. <laughs> you think that it's going to do this, and it does, and it does this, but it's always soothing, and it's always a little bit, oh, again, unclassifiable. It's, it just, it just kind of transports you because it's very, it's very out there, but it's not out there with craziness. It's out there with a calmness. You know what I mean? I can't think of too much to compare this album to. No, I again. Are we going to use this again for about the twentieth time? But it's unclassifiable. No, no. The point I wanted to bring up on that, uh, where I was going to remind you, you said that. First note I uh, wrote uh, after listening to it uh, twice was, it's this album is somewhere between AM and FM. Yeah. It's too cool for AM. It's too cool for AM. You're but so somehow right. it's not right for FM. You're so right. <laughs> and and consequently, where did it get played? Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> Except a couple of musicians here and there heard it and That's decided it. years later, yeah. you know what? I really like that song Strawberry Letter 23. Or you know what? If they had if the brothers Johnson had that did that. Nobody. We may not be reviewing this album or even talking about <laughs> it on this show because this album and his whole career could have really got lost. Like an old blues man yeah. who was in a plantation. Seriously, if it the, wasn't for that one song. The only other mention I saw was, I think, in the 80s or 90s, the song Sweet Thing was used in a movie. I don't Sweet know which thang. one. I like that. Do that. Yes, it was. I read that. I can't remember what movie it is now. Damn it, you bring that up. There's a song on the album called Sweet Thing. I should have uh, wrote it down. Written by Johnny and Shug Yotis. It's a great song. And it was used in the movie. And we're going to find out after. I'm going to find out after the show. But I did read it last week, but now I can't remember what movie it is. 
Um, yeah, I uh, I really like, and even though I listened to it on a stomach flu week, again, <laughs> uh, but I had heard it a couple of times. It really affected me even more than when I had heard it years ago. I I gave it four and a half out of five. Um, I started off with a four. I bumped it up to a four and a half out of five because of the um, uh, after listening to it four or five times. Yeah, and it's, and if we're recommending it to people, we don't know who to recommend it to because it's so unclassifiable. But like, it's if a you're like, great album. Just get it. You know what? Just get <laughs> it or listen to it and decide if you want to buy it because it's such a great album. And Shuggy Otis has only, in the, in the 70s, he only released three albums. So, you know, just it's just great. Get all of his albums from the 70s. He didn't want to be a front man, so he he didn't pursue his career like everybody probably wanted him to, or we probably know him like we know B.B. King or somebody like that, or uh, in that kind of vein. I don't know. He's so unclassifiable. I don't know what he would be like. But um, I'm glad that this is why this show exists. So albums like this don't fall through the cracks, and at least two voices in the wilderness can tell you, this is a great fucking album. <laughs> Pick it up if you got a chance, or at least listen to it and decide if you want to hear it. That's ex This is the kind of album that this show yeah. was yeah. conceived about. I wrote, this is a good album that's going to resurface from time to time because it's good. Yeah. You know what? That's true. This I album has resurfaced from time to time because there's always one person who always says I'm gonna I'm gonna release this album or I'm gonna do yeah. something with promote this album. Somebody actually so listens to it and that's the perfect song for this thing I want to do. You know who did that? One of the people just like us, David Byrne from the Talking Heads. He heard this album. It kind of got lost in history, and in the late '90s he heard the album and he put it on his very small record label because he said this album has got to be heard. He was the one who actually put the bonus track on the song i didn't want to say it but he was the oh. guy who did. and he that's where it snowballed so that now it became so popular to the point where we could actually uh put it on our show because it could have been buried so far down that not even we could find it to yeah. put it on the show we just hear uh, the Brothers Johnson version say, oh, I wonder who wrote that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it was a guy named Chuggy. So <laughs> Never heard of him. It goes, it goes from Total Oblivion <clears throat> to the Brothers Johnson to David Byrne to, like, other people who heard it <laughs> from there because it's on CD, you know, and to our little part. And people just buy it. <laughs> it's great. It's great stuff. I, and I get excited about albums like this because... Even a person like me who thinks he's heard everything, and I haven't heard probably 20%. Uh, I've only heard, I'm saying I've only heard probably about 20% of the music I that I I, I should hear. Intended to. But I give this. Sometimes I say, "Oh, I've heard so much music," and then all these albums pop up all the time that have just been buried by history, which should not be. Heard it for the first time uh, the day after uh, we finished the last show, and uh, it was one of those albums where as soon as it was done, I went back to the start and played it again. Yeah, it is. It is one of those albums. And I did that the next day and the day after that. <laughs> Here I was letting us go on and on because we were short of time, but now we're going to be long of time because we still have email to do. <laughs> email. Email. I like email, you like email, we all My like email. email. Okay, tonight's email, and we've never, we haven't done this like at the end of the show since, Ever. since our like test episodes that got buried. Oh yeah, yeah, the <laughs> first time we did, and then we listened to them. Yeah, <laughs> we used to do this on our dummy episodes when we were figuring out how to do the show, and we figured out that email at the end didn't work. So we're just doing a reminisce for ourselves and doing it at the yeah. end of the show. This is what we used to do. And by God, if you got a show like this, we recommend you not do what we're doing now. It's too dangerous. So tonight's email is from Judy Lipscomb of nowhere <laughs> because she didn't put her address down, which is okay, because now we don't have to pay well, her for rice cakes. We're from nowhere. I mean, we from nowhere. We're, we're, we're from Mr. Winchester's universe. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have to pay for rice cakes, which is always great. And uh, That's more rice cakes for us. Well, and, what are we going to do with them? 
Uh, well, we'd actually have to buy them because we don't have any storage for them anymore. Like we had a whole bunch of them. Now, no. we, have, now we have to actually go and buy them for everybody that sends us an email. So we're happy. Plus, I think Judy's happy because she doesn't have to eat them. Well, and one nice thing about storing them is that they don't attract ants. Ants won't have anything to do with them. Neither will mold. So here's the question, Rob. For $20,000, we're going to see if you or I can answer it. $20,000, just not for me. <laughs> we'll divide it. <laughs> so what does Judy have to say? Judy, great question. <laughs> Judy asks, how tall is the Winchester building? And is it as bad as you make it sound? Or are you just goofing around? <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> it's worse. We get treated like shit from Mr. Winchester. Okay. And it's about five to six floors. We have not really cared enough to go up and see how high it is. Judy, just mm. this is this is true. This is not goofing around. This is a true statement I'm going to make. If you take a bowling ball and put it on the floor at one end of this building, <laughs> it will roll to the other. That is true. <laughs> as bad as we make it sound, uh, we could make it sound much worse if we wanted to. Every time mm -hmm. I swivel in my desk chair, I slide a few inches to the left. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, we are being kind to Mr. Winchester. We, we are being loving to him. I could go on. <laughs> There's a few things I could go on about. You're just mad because he uh, he made you cut the lawn in front of the building. The door to the studio. Does it have a knob or is there a rag shoved in the hole? There's a rag in front of him. <laughs> yes. When we, when we mentioned to him that we had to cool the building down so that uh, we could do the show properly and have the proper acoustics for it, he said, that's nice. <laughs> great question, Judy. I really, or like, you know what? It's such a good question. I'd like to reward you with, uh, I don't know where you're from. You put, you know what? You well, get some honorary rice cakes. Yeah, now we, and we're not going to say if you send your address in, because we could get now a lot of people say, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm from, yeah, Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, yeah. So we have to send you like a a code word that you had to like squint your eyes to. Oh read. yeah, if you write down the if you write down an email code word big bosoms, then you get it. <laughs> Even though I just see the joke was I said I said it over the air, right? See, that's the joke. That's comedy, kids. Okay. Oh, next week, next week's big as we end the show. Next week, we start, and Rob doesn't know this. Even though this is Rob's idea, I've decided we start a four-episode oh. series on a theme that Rob actually came up with. Yes, he's more than just a pedophile face. <laughs> he actually comes up with ideas. Albums with purple on the cover. That was the one. All albums that have some sort of shade of purple on it. <laughs> no, it'll be better than that. We promise. So uh, that's it. Have a great week, everybody. Just later on.